Hello and welcome to the subtextual holiday season. We're kicking off this month with a classic lesbian holiday film, Happiest Season. We recorded this episode back in our first season and keep returning to this movie year after year, even though, frankly, it's torture. If you live in the New Orleans area, join us on December 15th for the Gay Movie Fun Show event where we'll be presenting Happiest Season. There'll be movie trivia, specialty cocktails, and maybe even a hot tub? If you don't live in the New Orleans area, you can catch the film on Hulu. Let us know what you think about the Harper versus Riley debate. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. Hey, Lizzie. Hi, Sam. Uh, Today we're talking about Happiest Season. Have you seen this movie? I saw this movie when it came out of the closet. When it came out, (laughs) I haven't seen this movie. I too saw this movie when it came out of the closet. Uh, (laughs) Do you remember liking it when you saw it? No, I did not like it. That's okay. I saw it because Kristen Stewart was in it and because I am a whore for the holidays, but no, I did not like it. It did not make me feel good. That's okay. I think that a lot of people feel the way that you do about it. I know I'm one of those people, so um, yeah. I mean, that being said, I'm watching it again this year, and I will probably add it to my annual holiday movie roster because... It is extremely gay. Yeah, I think we should give this movie some credit for being a Uh, Mm rom-com. At the end of the day, none of them are good. So, I mean, they're good in the fact that I am obsessed with them and I watch them constantly, but I don't think they're meant to to poke that many holes in. So it was produced by, um, excuse me, it was directed by Clea Duvall. This isn't her first feature. This is her second, but she's known like in the household, I would say, in the gay household for being an actress. And so she's in Girl Interrupted. And she's in The Faculty, and she's also in But I'm a Cheerleader. Oh, my God. That makes me like this movie a lot more for some reason. Yeah. I mean, she is um, famous for being a lesbian, which is is interesting because, like, But I'm a Cheerleader is one of her most popular roles. But she has said that she was, like, incredibly closeted while filming that movie. I'm sure that would make you so nervous to agree to do a movie that's so gay while you're in the closet. It's, like, one of the rules of being in the closet is that you don't talk about being gay. (laughs) Yeah, are you- and like here you are playing like an extremely dikey woman in mm-hmm. one of the gayest movies of all time. Yeah, great choice. I know, and it's so popular for actors to play gay, and it almost it makes them seem straighter to me when I see someone being like portraying a gay person in a movie. I'm like, they're probably straight. So maybe it, yeah, she was true playing 3D chess with us. Yeah, and like, <laughs> <laughs> but she's is she out now? Like she is. Oh yeah. A gay woman. She is a full. She's yeah. She's an out lesbian. She's married. Um, she's a lesbian. Yeah, and the lesbian. Yeah. So there's a the lot of the gay names that you see in this movie are definitely like she nabbed from like personal friendship, and obviously she's like best friends with Tegan and Sarah. So that doesn't hurt. That doesn't hurt. Wow. Why didn't TNS do a a song for Happiest Season? They did. No. And it's called like this season or this happiest season or something it's like on the outro of this um it's on the credits oh it's in the credits song Mm -hmm. yeah i muted it at that point Um, yeah you're probably (laughs) hiding your head in your hands so i didn't know that she was in was a closeted lesbian when she was filming but i'm a cheerleader and so i was looking into this movie and um she remarks that like this was her own experience, and so she wrote it so she could see it on screen. And so I initially believed that to be, like, she is the Kristen Stewart character, and the other woman 
is someone she's dated. But now that I know that she'd been closeted for so long, I don't know who she is in this, like, dynamic. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, honestly, if they had put, like, the based on true events, (laughs) like, (laughs) opener in the beginning, I probably would have liked this movie more. Because, okay, I feel like I'm talking about this movie like I don't like it. I do like it, and I will watch it every year. Mm -hmm. And it it sticks with me. Every time I watch it, I end up talking about it for days after. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry, Clea. Like, it makes me like this more that I know that it's based on a true experience. Because I actually relate a lot to this movie as well. Oh, yeah. Same for sure. I relate a lot to this movie. And I, yeah, I think that not seeing a lot of movies depicting your identity or your sexuality or your life in a, in a proper way, you become so cynical of the movies and, and how they handle the subject matter, that it's it's so hard to be, like, truly happy with whatever you see. And especially a movie like this, big budget, I'm assuming, you know, it came out through Hulu, like a huge platform. Mm-hmm. It's going to have, like, that studio shine that requires things to follow a certain pattern, and those patterns are inherently coded. Yeah, like, to create a big, like, box office rom-com hit like you can't you basically offend no one Mm -hmm. and while being gay is still offensive and you know to some people it's like hard to pull off so it's it comes off as sugary sweet in some areas and I I'm fine with it I hate this movie and I like love this movie I agree completely I hate this movie (laughs) and I love this movie so this film like opens on candy cane lane which is like like I said sugary sweet and we're introduced to Abby who's played by Kristen Stewart and Harper, who's played by Mackenzie Davis. So, of course, we know a lot about Kristen Stewart. Mackenzie Davis is kind of a newer face. Um, She's been in a few things that um, I've liked, but most notably, like, Terminator. Mm -hmm. That's how I know her, is from the newer Terminators. Yeah, and the reason I mention that is because she's so clearly wearing a wig. So bad. It's so... And, like, when I see a wig in a movie, I just can't... I hyperfixate. Yeah. Um, So she's wearing a wig. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you can imagine her that Spoiler way. Spoiler alert. I, <laughs> it's a wig. Uh, and she does a reveal also. It's great. She, she does? No, she Oh, does. my God. I was like, I didn't watch the director's cut. Oh, that'd be so great if she came out of the closet <laughs> and did a wig, wig. reveal. <laughs> she's like, I've had short hair this whole time. Yeah, because in real life, she's got a crop cut. Yeah. It's she, gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, so They're like, she looks too gay with a crop cut. <laughs> yeah. They're like, this movie is gay. It's not that gay. And so they're walking down, like, Candy Cane Lane, and they're doing, like, a Christmas tour. So Abby doesn't like Christmas. She says, like, she loves that Harper loves Christmas. And they're they're going on this walking tour, and it's so, like, cheesy that they, like, ditch the tour, and they climb up the scaffolding to the roof of of a house that's being worked on in the suburbs. And, like, as they're up there and they're, like, gazing at all the beautiful lights and people, it's very romantic. And Harper says, I just don't want you to be alone on Christmas. After this exchange, Abby, like, slides off the roof and is hanging from the gutter of the house. And um, she falls down onto an inflatable snowman. And um, this scene doesn't really serve a whole lot of purpose other than the fact that, like, a dominatrix comes outside. Oh, my God. Yes, with a whip in her hand. <laughs> yes, with like, with, like, a whip and, like, chases them away, which I just think is um is a nice touch. Wait, you skipped the part where a furry dressed as a reindeer comes out after her with, like, a leather <laughs> harness on and serves – I mean, I think this serves the purpose of, like – the goofy tone that this movie wants to take sometimes and then mm-hmm. like the serious heartfelt that it'll it'll flip to on like the drop of a hat. Yeah, absolutely. Where it's, it's just like, like they're gazing at them and they're saying all these romantic things and then they're like also bondage and 
Yeah. Also, can I just say one thing? One thing about this opening sequence really bugged me as a producer. I feel like ever since I started making films, it has kind of ruined the way that I watch them. But one thing I noticed in like the opening shot is like sweeping across the street of Candy Cane Lanes, which is basically like all these decorated houses. And I could tell that that shit was decorated in like three hours <laughs> by like a four man set design. Oh, no. Because like it's all the same decorations used over and over for each mm -hmm. yard and it's just like a tree like half-ass wrapped in a single stray of lights and I, I, I just had to say that because it really bugs me and I think it's really funny I just I want to let you know that you've officially roasted all the people of Pittsburgh because that was shot on location <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I don't want to fuck with the people of Pittsburgh I've never met someone from Pittsburgh but they seem scared Candy Cane Lane is a place and that was shot on location <gasps> the people of Pittsburgh please do not come for me I know this was shot in June I'm sure Candy Cane Lane is spectacular people of candy cane lane rise up like <laughs> please let me know if this was shot um in the actual time of year and this is just what it looks like because lizzie wants to tell you it looks like dog shit okay okay <laughs> enough topic okay. um we move very quickly past this dominatrix and um they they pull into an alley and they like make out and in kind of like a head rush harper asks abby to come and spend christmas with her and her family you know that scene in Call Me By Your Name where they're like flipping through the alley and their bodies are like flipping across the wall? It's like, it's a scene similar to that. So it kind of seems like it just happens in like um, the heat of the moment. So she agrees. The next day they wake up in their apartment and um, Harper wakes up in bed by herself and she kind of has that like sudden realization of regret. You know when you have when you like oh, black out? And she comes downstairs and she sees that like Abby is getting like properly pumped about Christmas and has like made her this huge breakfast. And Harper immediately begins to, like, backtrack on the Christmas offer, saying, like, oh, you don't really need to come. Like, I didn't mean to pressure you into don't you coming. Have some pets to watch, you lesbian? Yeah. And so this is when we, we put together that, like, um, Abby's lost her family. Mm -hmm. So, like, Harper says, like, I know you lost your parents and, you know, Christmas is hard or whatever. And Abby's, like... Look, I know you're worried I'm a I'm not a Christmas person, but like I'm gonna prove it to you. Like I'm really gonna enjoy myself. <sighs> and it's just so sad because you see all these moments where Harper can tell her, like, hey, tell her uh, the truth. Yeah, tell her the truth or save her from like an incredibly traumatic experience. Yeah. Um, but no, she doesn't say anything. So then Abby and John, who's played by Dan Levy meet in town and she kind of fills him in on um, the pet sitting that she's going to have to miss out on. <laughs> and Dan Levy is just like the star of this um, movie to me personally. I enjoy him very much. And every scene he in, he's in, he totally steals it. I agree. He was my partner's favorite character as well. Yeah. Like and he would be looking at his phone and then anytime John would come on screen, he'd look up and be like, oh, oh hey, and I can expect something good. Yeah. And so I have this thing with Happiest Season and I don't know what it's like, I just get fleeting moments of it throughout the movie, but I feel like there's some parallels between this and Get Out. I could have put, okay, I'm not kidding. I was thinking that exactly. He's the friend that's like, yeah. yo, dude, you got to get out of there. Uh -huh. Even, uh, what's your name? Looks like Rose. Yeah. Yeah. There's, that, we need to stop. Yeah. You need to stop reading my mind because like that, that occurred to me and I was like, that's weird. Why? And then like, as after it occurred to me, on the rewatch, like, I kept seeing it. So, like, there's definitely, like, a get-out style to their relationship, and we'll see more of that later. 
So Abby's telling John, like, you know, you're going to have to pet sit for me, la, la, la. And then they go to pick up um, an engagement ring. <gasps> Abby plans to ask Harper to marry her. And she plans on asking for her father's permission, which is, like, cute, I guess. I think it, we're supposed to feel like it's cute. Um, John is just, like, that's pretty archaic, which I agree. So now we're driving up to Harper's parents' house. And this is also a similarity to Get Out. Yes, exactly. In Get Out, it's like he, the main character, the protagonist, is stressed. Whereas like the person he's going to meet, she's super chill. She's like, oh, my family knows all about you. It's totally fine. So like it's the inverse in this case. exactly. Where it's like Harper is really stressed out because her family doesn't know who she is or who Abby is to her. And so Harper admits that she hasn't come out to her parents and that they have no idea that she's gay or in a relationship with Abby. This scene drove me insane. In this situation, if you were sitting in Abby's seat, what? how would you have responded? I think I would probably blame myself for like not having seen, I mean, you, I mean, not having seen the signs of it, like, because the movie like Candy Cane Lane, Pittsburgh or whatever is where we're supposed to understand that they live. And I think that like her parents don't live even far away. Like it seems like a very short drive. Like they're in the same kind of state, I would assume. So it's like, if they live there, we've been dating for a year I've never met them or any of your high school friends. I just feel like <clears throat> Harper is a really good manipulator. She's probably mm. a really great liar. She's probably we don't see her ever explaining or have any proof of the track she's had to cover to keep Abby away from her family, mm-hmm. but I'm sure she's had really good excuses. Like I get the sense that she's learned from her family as I'm sure we'll talk about that she's knows how to manipulate she knows how to lie she knows how to cover her tracks and she knows how to put on a good face so I'm not surprised Abby didn't know because I'm she probably just trusts her partner to tell her the truth yeah no you're totally right like yes your partner you should always have faith in your partner to tell you the truth I think that like for people who come out like maybe at a younger age in high school and college, you get through this initial relationship probably like right at the front of it, at the the front of your dating life. I mean, so once this happens once, you're like hyper aware of people being in the closet or people hiding you from other people. Mm -hmm. So I just feel like Abby is kind of old enough to maybe have been able to snuff some of this out. Mm -hmm. Not that it's any of her responsibility to do that. You should always presume that your partner is being honest, but- I think there would have been some red flags before this point. I agree. So Harper said that like, you know, that time last year when I went up and I told them and I told them about you and they're super happy. Yeah, that didn't happen. See, she covered her tracks. She had this great story. I would be so crushed if I was Abby. Like, like, come on, dude. You've been lying. Like, that's a lie. That's a fucking lie. That's a big lie. So not even you're closeted, but like you're also like really good at lying in your life. Like I lied about coming out. I told you this whole elaborate story. To Abby's credit, like she doesn't explode or Mm -hmm. like say like I don't want to meet them. Like she – She lets Harper talk her into like, you know, maybe this weekend just pretend not to be my girlfriend and just pretend to be my friend. I actually did buy that that she would be able to talk Abby into doing that because, I mean, when you do care for someone, you will do a lot and and then we wouldn't have a movie if she like said, no, take me home, but also like – yeah. I mean, it starts going wrong immediately. It's not good. And then Abby says the worst things you could probably say in any movie, including a horror movie, which is like, it's only five days. How bad can it be? 
I don't think I've ever said how bad can it be in my life. I think that's like only for if you're a character in a movie. I'm going to try to say that this week and see if it actually makes things worse or not. It'll definitely make things worse. I'm going to die by the time we release this because it's like, oh, someone, it did get worse. Yeah. I'll add it in the show notes that you've passed away. I'd like to dedicate this episode to (laughs) In memoriam. In memoriam. (laughs) Okay. So they get to Harper's parents' house and in the driveway, they not, Harper not only asks her to like, not say that she's in a relationship with her, but also just to not even mention that she's gay as an individual. And like her parents are going to buy this because they've never seen a lesbian before, honestly. And and you know what she packed? Probably like little suits and stuff. She wasn't she prepared didn't. to look straight. No. We didn't give her time to pack like t-shirts and Uggs. And like little little dresses. Like and she had dresses or <sighs> I don't even know. She brought her gayest clothes let me tell you and i have photographs for you later fuck yes so we enter harper's family's home and um this place is like nice like it is a mansion and we meet her mother tipper who's played by mary steenbergen and the mother from elf yes she's the the holiday mom character actor of our dreams and tipper like right off the bat it seems like a big like see you next tuesday she's like oh nice to meet you abby like we're always happy to open our homes to like those in need Oof. and she for the rest of the movie she keeps calling abby an orphan <laughs> she's like a grown ass woman um then we meet harper's sister jane who I, jane. I think everyone can agree is the best if you if you like dan levy then you love jane even more um She's incredible. She's played by Mary Holland, who actually wrote this film. No way. Mm -hmm. Good for her. I didn't know that. Yeah. And and not to sound too full of myself, because I talked about how much I loved her, but like I see a lot of Jan in myself. Really? Yeah. Like Like what? Being that person in my family that like I walk in, they're like, oh, thank God, the printer's jammed. And I'm like, I'm on it. (laughs) You know, that's funny that she wrote that because she does have some of the best lines Mm -hmm. and also knows how to deliver them. So it definitely makes sense that the writer would kind of like cater it to her, you know, her tone and her groove. Yeah, because plot-wise, there really is no need for Jan. Right. And she does have some of the best lines. So like, yeah, if you're looking at this on paper, you would pick her role even before you picked John's role. Yeah, she's fun. Yeah. So then we go on to meet the dad, uh, Ted, who's played by Victor Garber. And you probably hate him before he even says a word because he's that guy from Legally Blonde. He's the lawyer, the skeezy lawyer. And also he looks like the... um, Alex Trebek. He looks like the evil husband from The Corpse's Bride. The cartoon? Yes. He looks like an evil (laughs) cartoon. He looks like an evil cartoon. (laughs) He's got like the V eyebrows. Yes, and the chin. Like I swear to a T. He does look evil. His skin is like evil. Like whatever he does, he uses like moisturize and cleanse is like villain looking. And his whole vibe is is bad. Like I'll put a picture of him in the show notes as well. To Um, scale you. Not the actor, the character from the corpses. So... We meet Ted. He's a, he's a politician. He seems very full of himself. And then we move into Harper's room and we see that she has like the straightest teen bedroom I've ever seen. Like there's pictures of like Josh Hartnett everywhere. Mm-hmm. And like as a person who was closeted for some part of being in high school, I, you could tell from my bedroom that I was gay. Like you have on your walls. I'm dying. Jonas Brothers um, had Selena on my wall, obviously, mm-hmm. like little things I cut out from the library. Um, but nothing like Josh Hartnett. Like, that's pretty straight. That's as straight as it gets. Yeah, so... Um, we think she's bisexual. 
This movie doesn't explicitly say. I feel like she plays straight so well. I'm like, maybe she does like men also. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, well, we can touch on that later. Okay. Up in Harper's very straight teen bedroom, Tipper asks Abby if she has a boyfriend, and Abby lies. Poorly. <laughs> and says, uh, she says that she does, and it's like the worst lying I've ever seen. It's incredible. And um, she starts doing the classic Kristen Stewart, like, I, oh, I'm a, uh, yeah, I like hands through the hair. Yeah. I, totally I say this yeah. all out of love. I would, I'd love Chris. I love you, Kristen. Please uh, don't be offended, but oh. you have iconic mannerisms. Longtime friend of the pod, Kristen Stewart. I know you're listening. We are he shams. Um, she signs her checks. Okay. So uh, Tipper goes to take. Abby down to a separate bedroom. So they're immediately crushed that they don't get to stay together. And this is another reason why I think Jane is me because so they go down to the basement and that's, she's going to stay in Jane's old room. And Jane makes a comment and she's like, yeah, they put me in the basement because of my night terrors. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, relatable. I like stopped the film and I was like, holy fucking shit. My parents put me downstairs in a utility closet because um, I used to sleepwalk so bad that I would wake people up. The next scene we see they're going out to a family dinner and they're joined by Connor, Harper's old boyfriend. In my notes for him, I just I just have Q eye roll because he is like the most boring vanilla. Every time I see him, I get so sleepy and tired. So we're joined by Connor. And while they're all sitting at the table, they need like an extra chair and they pull over like a kid's chair for her. So she's like sad at like half the height as ever. It's so awkward. <laughs> yeah, the, their whole conversation at this um, at this restaurant was really awkward, and like the family keeps putting like heavy emphasis on like Harper and Connor having dated in the past, and it's just very clear that they just want them to be together. And and so Harper like just jumps up really quickly and is like, "Can I go to the bathroom?" and like grabs um, grabs Abby, and they they go to the bathroom together. And um, in the bathroom, Harper is like, oh, it's so difficult to sit, sit next to you at dinner without, like, kissing you. <sighs> Come on. I in, in the whole, like, she apologizes, like, 500 times in this film. And this is, like, one of the – maybe the 10th one, and I'm just, like, over it. You're, you're clearly okay with this happening if, if it happens every five minutes that someone makes me uncomfortable. She clearly has no control over the situation, so she can't even make the promises she's making. Like, oh, I'll make sure they never and no, nothing like this will happen again while you're here. And I'm like, you can't keep that promise, girl. You have no control. You're trying to make everyone happy, and you're doing a bad job of making yeah. anyone happy. Truly, I dated. I dated a closeted person once, and this was exactly like to a T, like how they handled it, like. Anytime we were out, we were, like, very much labeled as, like, best friends. Like, her family was always weird and, like, pushing her onto men and stuff. And, like, it it hurt the most seeing them, how easy it was for them to play into it. And then they would, like, pull you into a bathroom and kiss you and be like, oh, that was so hard. I, like, you know, can't take my eyes off of you or whatever. What you realize later from an experience like that is, like, oh, you're a great liar. Mm-hmm. And that's really concerning. Yeah. Um, so that is kind of what happens in the bathroom. And when they leave the bathroom, we meet the only person that matters. Fuck John. Fuck Jane. The only person in this movie that matters is Riley. And uh, 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 uh. Woo, 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 woo. we should get a soundboard because this definitely warrants that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whew. Like audience clapping like, yeah. Yeah. It definitely got hot in here. So like 
we meet Riley, who's played by Aubrey Plaza, needs no introduction. And um, they have an exchange. And Harper introduces Abby as her roommate. They were roommates. See, it's not just fried green tomatoes. It's It's still happening today. Single movie. Uh, Also, unrelated, but I'm getting a haircut tomorrow, and I have a photo on my phone of Riley in this movie to show (gasps) to my friend cutting my hair to be like, I want to look like this. (laughs) Give me the plaza. Give me the plaza. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so we meet Riley, and we learn that that's Harper's ex from high school. So lots of exes buzzing around. This one seems like a genuine coincidence. Um, And they get back to the table and Harper's parents make a comment. They're like, oh, you see Riley's here? Like, it's so unfortunate about her lifestyle. They're like her lifestyle of being incredibly smoking hot and And also a doctor. Also a doctor? (laughs) Jesus Christ. Every parent's worst fucking nightmare. (laughs) Um, So back at the house, Harper goes downstairs into the basement and um, her and Abby are talking. And Abby says something really sad. She was she was like, do you think your parents like me as much as they like Connor? Which made my little gay heart sad. This is so damaging for someone's just like self-esteem and self-confidence. And they just have all these great shots of like that just make you feel so lonely for Abby and just how sad and alienated she must feel. Like she's sitting at a shorter chair at the dinner table and like she's not included in conversations as much as if she was – presented as like a significant other because she's being presented as a friend it's just Mm -hmm. really sad and relatable (sighs) sad happiest season my fucking ass yeah what the happiness is barely anything (laughs) at this point abby's in the room by herself and she calls john and fills him in on the situation so she kind of lets him know like hey she didn't tell them about me and i'm stuffed back in the closet (sighs) and um He's also like, have they even seen you with their eyes? Like, Mm. you're a huge fucking dyke. Yeah. (laughs) And Abby's like, it's just what Harper needs right now. I know. Poor girl. At this point, I've, like, bought into this plot point that Abby would be willing to do this for her girlfriend. And it's really admirable, especially because she's like, this is my person. I'm going to get engaged to her. Yeah. And like, if you've ever dated a closeted person, like, you know that like, once you say yes, like once you, you almost have to keep saying yes, like, cause you can't out them. And so like when, when Abby agreed in the beginning to like do it for five days, I'm like, you're fucked. Like yeah. you're not getting off this ride. No. So the next morning, um, we meet Sloan in about as many words, like there's just kids like watching Abby sleep and Sloane enters who's played by Alison Brie and she just says like, nice to meet you, I'm Sloane and like walks away with her children. And uh, fuck these kids. I'm going to say it on record. Creepy kids. Fuck these fucking kids. So we go upstairs and we see everybody in the kitchen and we understand very quickly that like Sloane and Harper have beef and they're very cutting to each other saying like very mean things that I don't think my mother would let me say to my siblings or anyone. Okay, and so now we're getting ready for this Christmas donor party and everybody's in their outfits and they need to get a photo taken. And Abby becomes the resident photo taker. And we're like, I think everybody knows how awkward that is. This is another one of those moments where she's like, I would be in this photo if I was not presented as the roommate. If I was literally a man, I would be in this photo. Yeah. 
That's just, I just don't like that. It made me so sad. Saddest season. Saddest season, yeah. So at the Christmas donor party, we see Riley. Thank God. Let me show you these photographs. I've never downloaded something quicker than this photograph. <laughs> so in this photo, it's Abby's point of view looking down at Riley, who's wearing the perfect black dress. She's got the haircut that I'm going to be getting tomorrow. She's like looking up at her through her little eyelashes. She's got a red wine in her hand. She's like talking to some old white guys and obviously they're in love with her and I'm in love with her and we're all in love with her. And she's she looks gay. Like if I saw this woman at a gala, I would kind of do a double take. Yeah. Here's, there's another photo along with that one. Oh, this next photo is she's like she's eye fucking Abby is what she's doing. Yes, exactly. If you ever existed on Twitter any time around this film being released, you know the photos I'm referring to. I will post them in the show notes because I think you deserve to see them again. Because everyone gets a Christmas present this year. You know, they chose Aubrey Plaza, who's like a genius actress and also a genius comedian, for a role that doesn't really have a lot of comedy in it. She's kind of like the listening ear and yeah. the, like, I've been through shit and I... I'm wise kind of character. And I think mm -hmm. that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm glad they didn't make her do anything stupid or, like, jump on a table. Like, she's she's one of the few, like, level-headed characters in the film. Yeah, you're right. She doesn't say anything, like, insane for laughs. You know, as a, as a queer person who leaves, like, high school and you, you have your chosen family, you know, you seek out people with this type of understanding energy. And I think that for Abby, she can... Out of all these like fucking soggy white dudes and like terrible, terrible conservative people, like she's like, this is my lifeline. This is somebody I recognize. And I, I literally have no idea who they are. And I feel closer to them than my own girlfriend right now. Yeah. And she's also super hot. So that's about it. So bonus. hot. Oh my God. They styled her so well. At this donor party, Harper is being like shopped around with her dad because she's like very impressive, apparently. So at this point, we're introduced to a donor who's played by Anna Gasteyer, who if you guys are fans of SNL, then you know who I'm speaking of. She's speaking to um, Ted, the father, and saying that, you know, they're only looking to back politicians with nothing to hide. And he assures her they've got nothing to hide. I wonder if having, because this is set in like modern times, this is like mm -hmm. 2019. Mm -hmm. Like, is it harmful for politicians now to have gay children? No. What about like people that are more conservative leaning? You think it's harmful for them to have gay children? Yeah. So I think this movie is kind of wanting us to like root for the family, even though they suck. But the only reason they would have a problem with their daughter being gay is if they were conservative. You so know? He must be like in a very conservative Republican town or whatever because he's running for mayor right yeah he's running for office so yeah. i'm assuming that means that he's a conservative politician um which honestly checks out like this guy sucks so abby is probably overwhelmed with this like christmas party and she steps outside to have a phone call with john and so she's saying like harper will come out after the holidays so she can't she gets off the phone with john and she's standing outside and riley comes from behind the corner and presumably has heard the whole phone call She's standing with Abby and she tells her like, hey, I can relate to your situation. And Abby goes, to what? And she goes, nothing. And just like walks inside. 
Like no one wants to be the first to say like, you mean the gay situation? Yes. Yeah. You mean the closet situation? You mean me being a big fucking lesbian and that's my girlfriend in there and she's lying to everybody and I'm miserable. I'm literally screaming inside. <laughs> that that situation? Uh-huh. <laughs> something else. So they go back to the family home and they're all getting ready for bed and Harper sends Abby like a risque photograph of like her and her underpants. And um, Abby goes to sneak upstairs, but someone's coming down the hallway and so she hides in a closet. Um, Symbolic. Yeah, very intentional. Um, So Abby's in this closet and um, the Roomba goes off and it's like, there's like a huge commotion and um, Tipper, the mother, opens the door and finds her in there. And Abby just basically says like, I was sleepwalking um, and goes downstairs. And downstairs, um, Harper's already waiting for Abby in the room and they start like making out and like having sex. Off screen sex. Off screen sex, but we know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And um, they wake up in Abby's bed in the morning. So Harper's forgotten to go back upstairs to her room. I thought this was very irresponsible. I also thought that. Like at least set an alarm for like 4 or 5 a.m. and then sneak back upstairs. Absolutely. Like even if you weren't in the closet, you'd be hella careful about having sex at your family home. Yeah. Awkward. And I I don't have the kind of sex where I go completely blackout unconscious. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah, they must have had a lot of fun, and uh, they wake up in the bed in the basement, and um, there's a knock at the door, and since the lock doesn't work on the door, the mother just, like, walks right in, and so Harper's had just enough time to, like, get behind the back of the door, and while Tipper, the mom, is, like, looking through the boxes in the room, the twins are standing in the doorway, and they can see behind the door jam, and they can see Harper's back there, Um, but they don't say anything at the moment. So that was a close one, uh, but Sloane and Abby then go shopping for white elephant presents because there's like a white elephant party coming up. And Sloane has to like go and do something. So she leaves the kids with Abby and I hate these kids, whatever. So while she's shopping around with these kids, they hide some jewelry in her bag and she gets caught for shoplifting. So bad. And because she was caught stealing, she's been disinvited to the dinner that they're going to that night. But this works out just fine for us because now that Abby has some time to herself, she's like out about town and she runs into Riley and their interaction is like so flirtatious. Um, It's pretty great. And so Abby asks Riley if she'd like to get a drink with her and they go to a gay bar and we get to see two of my favorite drag queens that I love so much, Jinx Monsoon and Ben De La Creme. Yeah. We love them. Their addition to this was also just like a little present to me. Yeah. Um, so Riley and Abby are at this bar and it's very clear that they're having a a non-conversation about the predicament that, um, Abby's in. Riley just says like, Hey, I assume you and Harper are dating. And, um, Abby's like, why would you assume that? And she's like, well, cause I dated Harper in high school. And Riley goes on to tell her that she was dating Harper in high school and, when a love letter from Riley was found in Harper's locker, Harper was just like, oh, yeah, Riley's gay and she's obsessed with me. If that had happened to me in high school, I think it would take me a decade or more to recover. It happened to me in high school. That happened to you in mm-hmm. high school? I had already come out, but um, I was having a relationship with someone who was in the closet. And when our relationship had, like, come to light, she was like, oh, I'm not gay. Like, she's just obsessed with me. Oh, my God. That's so awful. Mm-hmm. Just – in general, awful, but at that time in your life, you're so 
fucking unconfident and just mm-hmm. you feel so ugly and gross and for that to happen from someone you love like I can't even imagine that's just this scene really hurt me it's, it made me sick to my stomach I'm really sorry to hear that that happened to you it's okay it's it was something that was really hard for me but I think that when you're gay and you're young and your biggest fear is being found out and so you're since that is your biggest fear like you don't understand that by deflecting you're throwing your worst fear onto somebody else to deal with. And it, it like furthers this like trope of the like predatory lesbian. Like, right. I don't like her. She's obsessed with me. Yeah. And it ties back to like homosexuals are only known for who they have sex with mm-hmm. and that they are like inherently only sexual beings and nothing else. Like nothing else makes you gay other than how you have sex mm-hmm. and you want to have more of it than like a quote unquote normal person. Yeah. For whatever, like what do you – I mean, I guess that's the predatory thing that came through in the film world, particularly with, like, queer coding. Mm-hmm. It's awful. It it was hard for me to hear her say that. I know this is, like, a movie, um, but those, like, experiences are really hard to live through. And I there is no coming back f- for Harper, for me, as an audience member. Mm-mm. Like, She's been this person and she's stayed this person. Yeah, because the story that she told Abby was like, yeah, I dated Riley in high school and that was it. Mm-hmm. And it's Harp. I mean, I'm sorry. And then it's Riley that's like, actually, there's a whole another level to it. Like she actually outed me and mm-hmm. said all these bad things. and Probably made my life a living hell. Oh, yeah, for a long time. She knows what she's doing and she has no desire to address it or unpack it or rectify it in any way. Like it doesn't seem like she's ever apologized to Riley. Mm-mm. But even after this heartbreaking conversation, this is like the first time we see Abby like loosen up and really enjoy her time since she gets to the parents' house. And they sing like a cute song with Bendela and Jinx Monsoon. And um, they've switched to like the same side of the booth, which is pretty flirtatious. They're just smiling and having a good time. And it all comes crashing down when uh, Abby gets a text from Harper and she leaves. You know, I'm glad they didn't have any romance in between Riley and Abby. And I really appreciated that because I didn't. I only appreciated it because I think it kept Abby like a pure character. Wait, you don't think that Abby and Riley were into each other? No. Oh, my gosh. I don't think like in any actionable sense. Like I think they had hella chemistry, but I don't think Abby made a, a move, a sexual move towards Riley. And I don't think Riley did either. You saw the photographs, Lizzie. Are you kidding me? She wants her. You're part of the problem. What? Like these gay people that are like, you know, she said she loves me and she writes me letters and she curates all these like flowers and gift baskets for me. But she's just my friend. She's just there for me. She doesn't do anything like that for her. They like just talk and share. Sure. I'm not saying they don't have sexual chemistry, but they don't reciprocate. They don't like do anything actionable. What is the name of this fucking podcast, Elizabeth? Um, obvious, obviously <laughs> the podcast, it's in your face, the podcast. If this was a movie about literally anything else and these two actors were in it, even speaking to each other about the weather, I'd be like, they are having sex. They are in love Fine. with each other. <laughs> they had sex and it's in the deleted scenes. Yes. <laughs> to keep my host happy. Yes. I think that the listener probably agrees with me if they've seen this film, that there is an insane amount of chemistry between them and that they definitely have a crush. If if sure. If I concede okay. anything is that maybe Abby is too blinded by her own issues to have a crush on Riley, but Riley definitely is into Abby. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> Can neither confirm nor deny. 
Uh, Abby meets up with Harper and her friends, who suck, and Connor, who sucks. At a bar called Fratties, if I am not mistaken. A bar called, yeah, like Frats and, you know, hot dogs and beer. It's just <laughs> so straight and gross. It's such a harsh juxtaposition to, like, the lovely little wonderland they were in with I these know. drag queens. And I bet you fucking Harper doesn't even know that place exists. She would have no reason to go to a gay bar in her hometown. She couldn't be caught dead. Hell no. Sad. So Abby leaves this wonderful place and goes to this terrible place and – um Almost immediately, she's like, I'm tired. I'd like to go. And Harper is like so into herself and her friends and Connor. She's like, yeah, I, I think I'm going to stay. Like, why don't you go home? Bitch, I don't live here in this town. Like, I don't have a car here. Like, you're not going to like offer me a ride home. Like, nothing like that. So Abby looks worriedly like over at Connor and she's like, you know, whatever. Fine, I'll leave. So she leaves and she gets home and she's in bed and she's texting Harper, but like Harper hasn't replied. And at this point, it's like really fucking late. It's like past midnight. We we like change perspective and we're with Harper and Connor as they're like leaving this bar. And he tells her that he like misses her. And um, he asks her, he's like, hey, like, did we break up because there was somebody else? And he's saying like, you know, I just felt like something was going on. You weren't telling me. And instead of being like, you know, I'm gay and whatever, like, if this guy is your friend, which it seems like you guys are friendly, like, I think you could trust him and come out. I mean, and even if you can't, instead of saying, like, anything of value, she just goes, like, oh, there wasn't someone else. Yeah, it was the, it was the long distance. It's like you're not even – you can't – you literally don't tell anyone the truth. Yeah, and, like, long distance implies that they had some sort of serious relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering, yeah, are we supposed to take from this that she's bisexual and she just had – not very strong feelings for Connor and they broke up and she found a woman that she had strong feelings for? Or are we supposed to understand that she was in a complete fake relationship with Connor while she was in the closet and then broke up with him because she couldn't keep the straight up? Well, this is like a mainstream rom-com movie. So I feel like gayness is kind of like a switch in these kind of films. You're Mm -hmm. either super gay or not gay at all. Mm -hmm. So my guess is that she broke up with him because she was closeted and she started seeing somebody else or just didn't want to be dating a man anymore, whatever. We never really get that clarification, but that's my assumption. I We said we talk about her bisex- the possibility of her bisexuality at some point, and the more I think about it, the more I'm like, in this universe of this film, I'm going to go with no. I'm going to go with <laughs> she's gay because she does come out as gay eventually. Sorry, spoiler, um, but... There doesn't really seem to be a spectrum of sexuality in the rom-com universe yet. What I really appreciate about Raleigh's character is because she doesn't have like a stereotypical quote-unquote lesbian look. You know, she's not like a super dyke or wearing like rainbow t-shirts. Like she's very much just like a very stylish woman, Mm -hmm. very feminine, but also has like, like a cute masculine flair too. Like she's seated somewhere on the spectrum very like confidently and I appreciate that I appreciate seeing a lesbian that is like the lesbians I know yeah like you're saying that you appreciate that Riley isn't like this caricature exactly yeah being a queer person and living in real life like people just look like regular people yeah it's almost like they're just regular people. And just regular. We go to Target I mean, and buy our underpants. better than regular people, but... Aubrey Plaza is not regular people. <laughs> Let me be so fucking clear. <laughs> so the next morning at the family house, Abby comes upstairs to make sure Harper is okay because Harper hasn't responded to any of her texts. 
And so Abby asked her, like, what's going on with you? And Harper's like, I feel suffocated. I feel like suffocated by you. And Abby says, I feel really suffocated in the closet you've shoved me back into. And like in that moment where they're having this like heated argument, Abby almost goes to say like, I was going to ask you to marry me. But she doesn't say marry. She was like, I was going to. And then like, you know, it kind of ends there. And in that moment when she says that, I realized like she's been putting in so much work because she thought that that was going to happen and is now finally clicking that like she probably really hates herself for believing it. Yeah, like she's withstood so much because it seemed like Harper was putting in some sort of effort. And it's like the first time that Harper's putting in like neutral effort, like mm-hmm. negative effort mm-hmm. and being like rude to her face directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a heartbreaking moment just to have all this image of like, I'm going to meet her family and we're going to get engaged. And mm-hmm. slowly that dream has just been like cracked down and now there's nothing left. There's nothing good to look forward to anymore Yeah, for her. This is a net negative for her yeah. at this point. We love this that. is when I'd book that fucking train home, girl. Like I would be like, bye. Well, it's funny that you say that because she does try to get like a car out of town and it's just like an insane amount of money because oh, right. because I guess it's like the day before Christmas or something. So she goes to call John and ask him for advice. And we're all, we're getting another like get out moment where it's mm-hmm. like every time she checks in with John, it's getting worse and worse. And you kind of just want him to come and save her. Mm-hmm. And um, so that conversation ends and she calls somebody on the phone. She's like, hey, you want to hang out? And guess You're who like, that I person who that is. is? My wife. My wife. Samantha Plaza. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> so Abby and Riley are hanging out now, just the two of them because they're best pals. And um, they're like walking around downtown and Abby gets a message from her phone that's like from Harper that's like, you know, we should talk later. I'm sorry. Like, I love you. So they get back to the house and Tipper, the mother, basically asks Abby if she stole her Christmas brooch. I'm so out of here, y'all. I know. She like freshly walks in the door with like presents for them and the mom is like, did you steal my stuff? And she's like, no. Why would I steal a fucking brooch? Yeah. Honestly. I don't wear brooches. I mean, it's so funny that these people are so clearly classist, but they have no fucking manners. Yeah. No but class. That shakes out more often than you think. Like, no class. Classist, no class. Um, so the white elephant party begins. And this is a scene that for me, I'm like, she's a lesbian. Like, how could she ever pass this off as anything else? So I'm going to show you a photo. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. Can you tell me what she's wearing? Okay. This is K-Stew in this gorgeous little blazer. She's got a black tie untied hanging around her neck and like unbuttoned past the nipples with like her gold chain hanging. Like Kate Blanchett in that one um, photo shoot where she's wearing Mm -hmm. like just the suit and no shirt underneath. And you can find whole articles written online of like where to buy the outfits that the women in Happiest Season wear. And this is one of the hottest blazers on that list. I love that you've taken actual stills from this film to uh, your stylist and your... They're on my phone. I can can show you. I didn't even need to bring these photos. You have them like seared into your brain. She looks so good, so incredibly gay. Um, I have to say also her performance in this film, you know, we love Kristen Stewart for many reasons. She's not always the best actress. That is fine. She actually does a lot in this movie that I really enjoy, seriously and comedically. I was like, I thought Kristen Stewart's comedic timing for all these scenes where she's having to, like, cover up and pretend to be straight. 
I giggled. I really giggled. She had some really great moments. Okay. We all know that Kristen Stewart is hilarious because we've all seen Twilight. (laughs) The best comedy. My favorite comedy on earth. (laughs) She does a really great job with it. And she, you know, us as an audience really feel for her and and want her the best for her. So she's doing great. Excellent casting for this role and pretty much every role. I don't think anyone was cast poorly in this. I don't know. Mackenzie Davis really bugs me. But then again, I feel like. meant to, I think. Yeah. You know, it should have been um, Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson. And I don't say that a lot, but I think it should have been Dakota Johnson. <laughs> in fact, I've never said it before. I've never said that. I'm always like, Dakota Johnson is this in this too? She's in fucking every movie. Yeah. You're so right. But she would have done great in this. She, I, I agree. I think that would actually be really fun to see. Um, so they're at this white elephant party and Harper sees Abby and Riley talking and she looks like so jealous. And Connor's so there. you've left her no one to talk to. Who you, else is she supposed to talk to? Jane? You like, she knows no one. She knows no one. Let her You're speak. always leaving her alone. Of course she's going to find the only gay woman in the room. Who else would she go hang out with? I completely agree. Like, do you want her to be like sitting by the Christmas trees, like literally looking and speaking at no one? Abby tells Riley that she doesn't know who the real Harper is anymore. And she also tells her that she was going to ask Harper to marry her tomorrow. And who enters but our get out savior, John. John's here. He's like, get in the car. Yes. (laughs) He comes in and like, just even as an audience member, you're so incredibly relieved to see him. Yeah. And he he enters the house and Tipper asks if he's um, Abby's ex-boyfriend. And- I forgot about that. It is such an incredible exchange. And it also is like- a nod, whether intentional or not, to another movie that has seared in my brain, but My Best Friend's Wedding. My Best Friend's Wedding, yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I saw him walk in, and I'm like, let's sing Aretha Franklin around a big fucking table. Like, I'm <laughs> ready for this shit. For you. I was so ready. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't get that much of that, but um, it is it is nice. It is fun. Abby looks over to see that, like, Harper is, like, giggling with Connor, and, like, and so she like beeline straight to Harper and just says it's over and leaves. I remember specifically the shot because it goes to handheld. You know, like mm-hmm. when everything's gone from uh, tripod and there's that one shot in handheld, you're like, oh, shit, it's about to get real. Shit's ramping up. Yeah. You're like, oh, I, I'm going like, to start running. Her. Yeah, it's so good. It's just such a real moment. And honestly, I've been waiting for her to say it because I've been wanting her to say it for so many scenes. Oh, yeah. It's over. I'm done. And it, I'm like, yes, get out of there. I know on my first watch, I didn't expect her to say to ever like leave at all. I just expected her to stick around through it. And so when she says it's over and turns around, like I felt so good. I, I was like, bitch, run out of there before she can say a single word to you. Yeah. Um, but that's not the case. They go downstairs and they begin to fight in the basement. Um, so Abby says, don't you understand how hard it is to watch the person that you love hide you? And Harper says, I'm not hiding you. I'm hiding me. And, um, Harper basically goes on to say that she has to earn her family's love. And, you know, if she doesn't tell them who she is, she'll lose Abby. But if she does tell them, then she'll lose them, which I understand to a degree. But also it seems like, and this is a personal opinion, but it just seems like the confines of this family are not, they don't give you love. I I don't know if they're financially supporting you, but like until you love yourself, like your whole life's kind of rotten. Mm -hmm. So... She's old enough that I feel like she could have come out, but that's not my place to say 
uh, everybody has to do it in their own time. And then so like as they're embracing like because Abby's like, you know, trying to make her feel better, Sloane walks in on Harper and Abby and um, she like turns on her heel and basically goes upstairs to like rat her out. So they're following Sloane upstairs, begging her not, or Harper is begging her not to tell the parents. And on their way upstairs, they find Eric in a closet with Carolyn. Mm. So Sloane's husband is having an affair with the advisor. They're like embracing in this closet. So Harper goes like, I'm not the only one with a secret. And they just break into a full fucking brawl. I'd be double, triple, quadruple done after this. I, I guess we're supposed to understand from how competitive they are and their nature with each other this whole film that it makes sense that they'd break into like a physical fight. But I, I don't know. I, it's more of a device than anything. I don't yeah. think two, these two grown women would fight like this. But we do get one of the best lines of the film where Abby goes to break them up and Sloane says, stay out of this, Sappho. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, puts her hands up and just backs up. And I'm like, yeah, I would listen to what Alison Brie is telling you. Absolutely. She means business. That's just too good of a line. Like, you just have to back up. Yeah, you're like, oh, all right. So Sloane and Harper, with their, like, brawl fight, uh, break into the White Elephant Exchange. As they're, like, tussling and they kind of pull apart, Sloane basically just outs Harper in front of everyone, the donors, the family. And there's a, a big moment after Sloane says she's a lesbian. And Harper kind of checks everybody's eyes in the room. And then she goes, she's lying. Ugh. Over. And that was like the hardest. Like, Heartbreaking. Oh, this movie it's like brought up some really bad stuff for me personally. But when she said that, I was like. It's just such a gross, sad feeling. Mm -hmm. Like just having Abby right there. and Because like I will admit there's some relatability, much relatability actually from me to Harper's point of view in the scene before where she's kind of telling her. Like, I'm hiding me, you know, and then like, you know, you, whenever you go home for the holidays, it's hard to take all the changes that you've made in your young adult life with you to your family because your family just sees you as, you know, that goofy little kid that you always were. And it's hard to like kind of bring in your personality. I'm speaking from my experience to bring in my personality or queerness into like the Thanksgiving table or whatever, or the Christmas morning. So I can see how this has been hard for her, but I think in this next scene where she has the chance to reconcile herself and doesn't yet again, it's just like, no girl, like you need to, you need to face this mm -hmm. and you can't have it all. Cause now you're going to lose your, your fiance. I don't know. No, I, I, agree like whatever understandability or whatever empathy you can extend to this character of Harper like in that moment you have this hope for her that like you can just accept it now like your worst fears come true and you can just ride through it and instead she kind of just throws it away and um, with Riley right there too like with Abby. I'm sure no, with Riley. Oh, you're Riley's right. Riley's like, the last thing she heard her say in high school was like, I'm not a lesbian. You know, she's a lesbian. I'm mm -hmm. not, you know, it's just like, this is however many, like fucking 15 years later, 10 years later, and it's happening again. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you're just wrong in everybody. And you're wrong in yourself. It was like 
the cringiest thing. It made me super fucking sad. Yeah. Nobody in the room bought it for a second, and Abby leaves, and there's just like this huge silence. So inside, you know, we don't follow Abby out just yet, but inside, Harper becomes so upset that she grabs a painting that Jane has painted as a gift and like slams it over Joan's he- Sloane's head. Um, which is really fucked up, Harper. Like, yeah. I get, like, the physical comedy of, like, people fighting. But, like, this move, I was like, oh, you suck. This moment didn't work for me at all. Yeah. And I think it was supposed to, like, make us feel really upset for Jane because she finally does stand yeah. up for herself. And she's like, you know, I am worthy and I don't want to be left out anymore. And she starts, like, fighting with them. So outside, we get some more backstory on Abby's parents. And she said that, like, it's hard to enjoy Christmas now because they loved it so much when they were around. And she was hoping that like with Harper, she could enjoy it again. And she thinks that Harper doesn't love her as much as she thought she did. And this like whole bubble and her whole perception of their romance is like bursting. And John says some like really important stuff. Basically, he just says that like, Harper not coming out has nothing to do with you. It doesn't mean that she loves you less. But everybody has dis- different circumstances for coming out. Like for in his instance, like he was kicked out and he didn't speak to his father for over a decade. And I see where he's coming from. And I think that's a very important perspective to have. I think that's not something that she might be able to hear right now or separate herself from because of what just happened inside was a lot. But it is true and it is important. And I'm glad that he said it. But I think Abby had deserve some time to just be like, what happened to me just now was pretty fucked up. And even if it wasn't about me, like, it felt like it was about me. Even if there is this possibility that she would be, like, cast from her family and, like, quote-unquote ruin her dad's political career by being gay, it still has nothing to do with the fact that she's been piling on lie after lie after lie for well over a decade now to the people that she's been in relationships with and... The reaction of everyone else has nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think it was an important moment and like one of the sobering moments that you kind of like get taken out of the wacky rom-com world to kind of hear the reality of like uh, Abby's characters coming out story versus John's, which are very, very different. You know, her family accepted her and his literally cast him out of their life. And I thought it was done with a lot of heart and really well done by both actors. It was such a serious moment that almost didn't fit in this film. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're right, totally. Like, if I were in Abby's shoes, I would be like, that's great. And I understand that she's afraid, but, like, (laughs) that has nothing to do with me. You're right. Like, her coming out has nothing to do with me. Her response to that is like, yeah, I want to be with someone who's ready. And the thing is, it's like, that. that is so warranted for her to feel Because she didn't know she was getting into a relationship Mm -hmm. with someone who was closeted. Maybe she'd have more understanding then. Yeah, if she'd been told the truth from the beginning. It's understandable if you're told the truth. Yeah, but if all of this implodes in in the matter of days and everything you thought about your partner is just completely unraveled and you realize they're like a manipulative liar, this no longer becomes the story of, oh, well, she has to come out in her own time. It's fuck her. No, yeah. She could come out in her own time if she's not also abusing people along the way. Right. And inside, we see that Harper apologizes to Riley and um, about what happened in high school. And Riley says that Abby is a really good one. Elizabeth, did you hear that? 
I just think that's further proof that there's nothing romantic going on with them. She's like, here, manipulative asshole ex, you can have her. I What I took from is a really good one was like, she's a catch. Uh, whatever, Lizzie. <laughs> <laughs> Agree to disagree. <laughs> so Ted apologizes to the donor who leaves in a huff and he apologizes for the spectacle. And he approaches Harper and says, like, I expected more from you. And he's like, Sloan, I expected more from you, like, instead of making up lies about Harper. That's when Aunt Abby enters to, to grab her stuff. And Harper seizes the opportunity to say Sloan wasn't lying. I am gay. And that she loves Abby. It's just a little too late. <laughs> and I'm gay. Exactly. Like this would have meant something if it happened earlier. But to me, I personally don't care. And Abby continues to leave and Harper goes like, but I did it. And Abby's like, it's too late. Yeah, it's like, then you just hear the song. I think it's too late, girl. Yeah, haven't so you heard? So Abby leaves and her and John um, are in the gas station picking up snacks and Harper has found them because she's tracking her location and basically just begs Abby for another chance. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I know it's like important to the story, but like I really, I don't even remember that much of it. I don't care. She doesn't say, she says only toxic things. Okay, let me, let me rephrase that. I don't remember a whole lot of this because there's not a lot that's worth committing to memory. <laughs> But we can take away is that Abby is giving her another chance and they embrace. So this gets all wrapped up very neatly. So back at the family house the next day, Ted comes downstairs and he says that, you know, he thought that if he'd won the campaign that everyone would be proud of him. And they all say they're already proud of him. And he just says, like, I just want everybody to be happy. We see that he gets a call from the donor offering backing to to him if he basically keeps Harper in the closet. And not that I think that would ever fucking happen. Right. But whatever. Um, he, like, declines. So we get that he's, like, he's a new guy. He's a new man, character development. And they finally get this Christmas picture that they've been trying to take for the whole fucking movie. And this time, Abby's in it. And they're all in their pajamas. And everybody's everybody's a lot chiller now. Yeah, everything's fixed overnight. Sloan is no longer mean. The kids mm -hmm. are not evil. Mm-hmm. It's suddenly all good that half the family's gay. Mm -hmm. Jane forgives everyone for basically, like, verbally Bully abusing her. her. Their parents are no longer conservative. John's over for Christmas. John doesn't have any friends or family other mm -hmm. than Abby. Yep. And all the fish that he's looking after are dead. Yep. Everything's <laughs> fine. So we get a flash forward to a year later and we see that Jana is very successful and she's a writer and everybody loves her. And we also see that Harper and Abby are engaged, because why not? And um, it all ends on a Tegan and Sarah song. And it just wipes it all clean. Just, everything's fine. Everything's fine. This whole family and all their issues are resolved in a single conversation. Yep. Just like in real life. That happens in my family all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. God, I thought this movie is really surprisingly depressing. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are some fun moments. Most of the comedy comes from the fact that, like, she's in turmoil and, like, that she has to hide herself, which is, like, not funny. And, like, yeah. I understand as a plot device why it needs to happen, but it does come across a little more sad than it does jolly. I would be curious for, like, a super 
hetero person to watch this and let me know what they think. Like, is it as sad as I think it is? Because I think if you have any amount of unresolved family trauma or personal identity mm-hmm. crises, mm-hmm. it's a very surprisingly, not triggering, but it definitely like plucks at your little bruises and pokes at them a little bit. This film was received well critically, actually, which was a little surprising. Really? To me, yeah. But... um like the, human being, like professional human beings. Professional critics rated this well. I think that it's rated as it should be, you know, amongst other rom-coms, holiday right. season movies, where like they get away with some ridiculous yeah. plots because, you know. Fucking Family Stone? I mean. Borderline the, incest. The Family Stone like did a do do and like everybody switched partners yeah. and like. That's supposed to be chill. Is that okay? But the difference between The Family Stone being preposterous and this movie is that we all understand that the situation in The Family Stone could never happen and will never happen. The happiest season being based on the fact that someone's in the closet is something that people relate to and actually happens quite a bit and is actually pretty sad. Yeah. So that's kind of why it leaves like a weird taste in my mouth. So this was this movie was supposed to receive like a theatrical release. Uh, but due to the pandemic, it didn't. And if it would have, it would have been considered like um, the first same-sex rom-com holiday film. You know, I'm I'm glad that that they didn't go theatrical because maybe it can make way for a slightly better rom-com to be the first same-sex holiday movie. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any coming out this year because I would have heard about it. Mm-hmm. But maybe next year. There's always next year. There is always next year. Kristen Stewart's making a lot of movies. So she's turned them out. So what do you think about this movie? My letterbox review kind of sums it up, but basically I was like, I don't like this movie, but I'm watching it again and I'm crying. <laughs> there were moments that brought tears to my eyes. Um, but again, it has to do with like my personal unresolved issues mm-hmm. and less to do with the skill of the writing or the cinematography or anything like that. I always think I'm going to like it more because it's kind of commercialized in a way that makes it seem like it's a fun and happy movie. But for me, it is not. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty hard and sad movie with an ending that I find to be very poisonous. Yeah. What do you think about it? I agree. I think that on the outside, it has like the packaging of all these other movies. So you're like, once you forget about it enough, you're kind of like, oh, I, I want to go back and watch that. And then you realize it, it's it's pretty sad. Because <laughs> you know what would make it like monumental is like the first same-sex holiday movie mm-hmm. is getting to see two people of the same gender be in love. But you don't get that because no. the whole movie is about them being pulled apart. You don't even so, get to see them be gay. Like, yes, they do embrace. You in the beginning. They embrace and they're like – we understand that they are together, but, like, they don't get to live their lives authentically for more than, like, five minutes. Yeah. Can we move past it? Can we get, like, a, just a good story? <laughs> no one dies and they're happy in the end? Nobody died in this one. That's true. Actual gay sex happened. Off screen, but true. Yeah. So, I mean, net positive. It's, look, it's something. And I will watch it again probably in a year. Yeah. Next Christmas. Absolutely. Whatever. I don't know if I like it. I, at the beginning of this, I thought that I did, and I said that I did, and now I'm not sure. 
because talking about it's making me sad. I thought talking about it with you would make me like it, but it's actually make, made me like it less. Okay, on to the scores. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, as a standalone film, what would you give this on a scale of 1 to 10? Like a 4. Damn. If I'm being generous. A 4 if you're being generous. Okay. I give it a 5. Okay. On a scale of 1 to 10, how gay is it? I mean, like a 10. It's gay. I agree. I also give it a 10. It's very gay. So at least it has that. It'll bring the score up a little bit. So right now, it's at a 7.25. So main takeaways from this film is that if you see Aubrey Plaza, you just run right in that direction. (laughs) And I'm buying a blazer. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep this content ad-free, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. See you next week.